on this episode of Quantum Week, February 17th through 23rd, 1985. Quantum Week. Quantum Week. Welcome to Quantum Week. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year. We talk about movies and music, headlines, stories. We are in uh, mid-February 1985, and we're talking about Amadeus and Careless Whisper by Wham, George Michael. Wham. I know, right? It's on a Wham George album, Michael. but George Michael went out of his way to, this is a George Michael song. Yeah, but it's on the Wham, on album. The Wham album. And also, that when they wrote it, it was their demo to get them signed. And like early, they, this uh, it took them a while to actually get it produced and, and mm. recorded. didn't show up until their second album, well, their big album there. Uh, but uh, I think technically it's a George Michael song. I think technically it is too, but they were but, both on it. I know. It's very strange. It's very strange. Yeah, but we'll talk about yeah. that. Um, thanks, Ned. Ned Snark, the great Ned Snark. So you're getting this, uh, you're getting kind of bonus episode here. Uh, uh, this is Ned Snark paid for this week to be done. And the big reason he did it was because he wanted us to talk about Amadeus. So this is kind of his, this is, this is his movie that he really wanted us to this discuss. Is like top 10 movie uh, in his book. He loves this movie. He loves it. Um, and he has, he has some notes. Actually, we're going to get into uh, one. He sent, it, he sent us quite a, <laughs> he sent us some notes he wanted us to discuss to uh, just kind of give some background. Uh, but one of the points he, he gave is actually something I do want to discuss with you uh, on the show. So, uh, but yeah, Ned Snark, the great Ned Snark, of course. Um, Helping us out. Yeah. Thank you, show. Ned. Thanks, Ned. Appreciate it. Uh, so do you want to get right into Amadeus or do we have anything we need to talk about? No, we, this, this is just going to be movie and song because it's the kind of bonus episode and then we'll have our more typically structured show on uh, Saturday yep. when we cover Beverly Hills Cop. That's right. Amadeus. Yes. Uh, I think it's good. I give it like a B plus. Um, I don't think it's great. And I'm wondering if it's because we watched the director's cut. That's the only thing we could find. It's a three hour director's cut. And my big problem with this movie is the, it's almost like montage. He's like the, the music uh, performance scenes are too long. Oh, it's, it's like way too much. I agree. I and it's beautiful. Yeah. The music is beautiful. But you don't have, like when we're watching a, when we're watching a song and dance movie, a musical, we see the choreography. But that's not really what's happening here. We're watching conducting. We're seeing some some of the, you know, the scenes, some of the, the performances happening. But it's not very, um, it doesn't like really keep you engaged. Um, no, I agree. Because we're watching, I think they try to keep it pretty, historically accurate. So you're watching sure. these musicals from like, you know, 18, you know, 17, whatever, like. All late 1700s, yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's not very entertaining in No, and some of the music, some of the, some of the, the music I really do like. Yeah, but the um, actual like production of the play, it's, it's, not, some, it's uh, not something we want to. And really we watch. don't understand the language. A lot of it's in yeah. Italian. Uh, it was German, German, there's Italian. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're not really familiar with the opera, you're not going to get the context of what's happening. It's not going to be as moving to you. Yeah. So the director's cut uh, thing, it, I'm, I'm fine with. So here, so here's why. So first off, the director's cut uh, is only 12 minutes longer than the original. Um, the original is quite long. I grew up watching the original. Um, I mentioned before, uh, there was that general store in uh, New Hampshire, that convenience store that was right near uh, four miles to my house. That was the nearest convenience store when we moved to New Hampshire. Yeah. And they had some videos for rent. They maybe had, I don't know, 60 videos for rent. And one of them was Amadeus. So, so did you keep rent renting it? I over read it over? twice, I think. Because oh, okay. sometimes you'd be like, oh, fuck, there's like no, nothing new. And you're just like, I want to watch something. So yeah, yeah. I would rent Amadeus again. <laughs> so I've, I've seen Amadeus a few times. Uh, this, is a, this is my first time seeing the director's cut. And um, I think it's actually helpful because there's a scene um, where uh, Solari, am I pronouncing that right? I always say it wrong. Um, <laughs> I know. It's, it's Solari. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'm going to say Solari. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't want to bother with it. I'm sorry. I, I, I apologize to his family. Uh, <laughs> long dead. I, I, I call people what I want to call them. Okay. That's All fine. right. So, uh, Solari, uh, you know, Solari guy, uh, you know, he, he, uh, basically tells, he tells Mozart's wife, Hey, if you want me to, um, recommend him for this, this position, this teaching position, I think, right. Yeah, you have to, yeah. uh, fuck me basically. Yeah. And so she come, she, you know, come back late tonight and she takes off her, her clothes and she's ready for him. And he just, he's a virgin. Solari's a virgin. And he's just like, uh, he gets very embarrassed and like ashamed of himself. And then he storms off, but that in turn embarrasses her. And it, Oh, it and, does. Yeah. And it's a very embarrassing situation for her to be in. So at the end of the movie though, after, uh, right before Mozart dies, um, there's another interaction between Solari and Mozart's wife. 
And um, she'd been away for a while. She comes back, she comes back, sees him in the room. Right. Mozart's on his deathbed, basically. And she's very angry at him. Very angry. And for a long time, people wondered, why is she so mad at him? Like, what? <laughs> what? What? Because that scene that I just spoke about was not in the original version. So um, I think it actually clears things up. It's only 12 minutes. You figure that scene itself is about five or six minutes. That's so, true. You know, what else could they? So the, and I remember watching the original version. Those long musical numbers, they were still long in yep. the year. Okay, so that they didn't, there were no yeah, cuts that's there. not an issue. That's I think, too I think bad. you can kind of throw the director's cut prob- problem, director's cut issue kind of out, out the window. Now, your other point of some of these scenes going on for too long, especially in that second act, is true. I, I can't really argue that. I'm with you on this. Uh, I think this is probably a B, B plus movie um, as well. Um, this is good, not great for me. It's my fourth favorite Migos Foreman movie. Um, yeah. One for the Cuckoo's Nest is an all time great. It's a, it's in the top 100. Um, we covered people versus Larry Flint. People versus Flint is, I think, like 100 for me, or just around in that area for me, or, or just a can't miss. So that's also a, a very good slash great film. And I really love Man on the Moon. Mm. I know a lot of people don't. Um, I do. Uh, I love Andy Kaufman. I think it's an amazing performance by Car- Jim Carrey. I know that's a kind of a controversial maybe thing to say is that I like it more than Amadeus, but I do. Um, and that's why we do the show, to be honest, for our opinions. I know that's it's true. not as it claimed, but it's, I like it better. I want to say one more thing about the director's cut, sure. though. The other thing I didn't, what rubbed me the wrong way is uh, Foreman's like, ah, you know, we, we, we cut out some stuff to make sure that we could further the, the plot faster for when people were in the movie theaters. But then eh, people were getting DVDs, so screw it. I just threw it back in. If they didn't want to watch it, they don't have to. I didn't like that attitude. I was like, no, do what's best for the movie. Whatever it is, do what's best for the movie. Well, here's the thing that Foreman's up against, though. So Foreman's, uh, Foreman would rather us watch the director's cut. Yeah. But the original version won Best Picture and, and seven other Oscars. <laughs> it's a, it's that. So you can't be like, that wasn't my vision. Yeah. Because now you're like an asshole. Because, right. you, you know, you won eight Oscars. So you have to somehow get your director's cut out there if that's what you want. And another reason that this director's cut happened is uh, the rating system. So Mm. Amadeus is a PG movie. Oh, that's true. Because this woman takes off her clothes, it would have been an R, I believe. So um, that scene and um, was a, a there was some rating debate there. That's another reason that scene was one of the ones that were cut. I see. That makes a lot more sense. So there was there's a lot of moving parts there. I I don't I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the director's cut is, is fine. It's 12 minutes. It's not like it's a half hour, 45 minutes longer. It's 12 minutes. And, no. one, of the, and one of the parts of that actually clears up a question in the film. All right, that's fine. We can move on from that. But uh, but besides that. One of the issues the movie has is it's a three hour long movie. And the very best scene in the movie, in my opinion, is the first scene. Uh, when uh, Solari is playing uh, songs of his and yeah. the priest doesn't know any of them. And then he plays Mozart. He goes, I know that one. Yeah, so at this point, Salieri, in an, he's in an, some sort of asylum, uh, partially medical, partially mental, uh, yeah. because he tries to commit suicide. Because he's so guilty. Are we going to explain the plot of the film as we well, go? Well, no, just a little bit. I but mean, no, I, I think, th- like, honestly, anyone listening to this? No, nah, I think it's important to get, we don't have to do it the entire way, but I think uh, giving this particular context, why okay. is there a, produce, uh, pr- uh, a priest there? Well, the priest there yeah. is in the asylum, and he goes to right. uh, Salieri, by the way. Yeah. and um, Salieri? Salieri. Salieri. I call him Solari. Solari. Solaris. Not, that's not gonna work. For me. Anyway, so he's play, right. He's playing these melodies Solieri. for the priest. Like, oh, do you know this one? And the priest is like, no, no, no. And then he plays a piece by Mozart, and the guy's yeah. like, oh yeah, I used to learn. I, I learned that tune. I love that tune. Whatever. And he's like, of course, it's, it's Mozart. a pretty famous scene. I think anyone yeah, listening yeah. is shut is up. Continue. Of the scene. Continue. <laughs> so in in in, uh, in Jaws, is a shark. It's a great white. <laughs> Uh, no, we're going to assume you've seen this. If you haven't seen it, it is available through streaming. I'm sure there are some younger listeners that haven't seen this, um, but I'm guessing you probably wouldn't have downloaded this episode called Amadeus. <laughs> you know, like, I just, I don't know, but check it out. The, Matt and I, so we both recommend this, right? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah, so if you want to, you know, stop this now and go watch it, and you have three hours to devote, do so. Um, pa- part of it is the, the, the acting by F. Murray Abraham. He's like... Well, and that's well. He, he's great in the entire movie. He's awesome. So in that scene, though, it it, it is a masterwork. And he and also he's wearing old man makeup. Yeah. So you can't emote as well. Yeah. You know, it's not as odd. And that is one of my favorite dramatic scenes ever. Yeah. Um, I don't really love the priest in this scene. No. Um, he he's not a great actor. That that's a there's a couple casting choices I don't I don't love here. One of them wasn't their fault. Um, and uh, but that's one of them. I don't think he's particularly strong. And but. F. Murray Abraham is so good in that scene it's awesome. that it's one of my favorite things ever. But that kind of also defines the entire movie, though. And it's like, all right, so once you kind of know that, and don't get me wrong, I enjoy this movie. It's a very good movie. It is good. But it kind of takes some of the wind 
out of the sales because like, all right, I know what I'm going to get a little bit in the first five minutes. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It takes, it's makes, makes the, makes the film a tiny bit anticlimactic. Now, obviously we know Mozart, we, you know, so we know that what we're going to get into anyway, it's called Amadeus. Yeah. But that scene, you kind of see, cause it's just so well acted. It's just so well done and so well written that you know exactly what this movie is about because of that. Yeah. It's almost and, too good. Yeah. You're right. You are getting the end before you even get a little bit and start the movie, which, which yeah. kind of, that does suck a bit. It would have been better to get that. Maybe a little bit later been, on, yeah. But, but it's impossible if he's telling the story. I guess so it I is. I understand yeah. the structure, but right. Um, no. So F. Murray Abraham, talk about him for a second. Yeah, of course. Uh, wins best actor. Um, he does. Uh, this also wins best picture and best director. Uh, wins best actor. This is a. He's he's. I mean, in my opinion, noticeably better than Hulse. I agree. And I'm not saying that's not much thing on Hulse. It sucks that Hulse. This was a tough one because it's named Amadeus, but really Hulse is the supporting actor in this. I one. agree. Yeah. So, so I. So would you have had an issue if he'd been up for supporting? No, I would have. I would have. I thought that, that. I would have thought that would have been more correct. In fact, and uh, this was a this was a lighter year too, and he might have had a shot. It's F. Murray Abraham's movie. It really you know is. What I mean, it, it really is. is. It is. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think. I mean, he must have more. Lines. Yes, he, he must be oh, in more scenes, right? He's, yeah, he's the protagonist. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Mozart, I guess, is the antagonist in in a sense. Um, in, in this film, uh, so I was going to go through kind of the some of this. So I will admit to, um, yeah, this I is, haven't seen this is really before my time. Yeah, um, unfortunately, so I don't have a great grasp. This is the year of the Killing Fields, which I don't know that I've seen. I have not seen it. Um. But what was the one with uh, Sally Fields? Uh, yeah. Um, you like the, me, you really like me when she won. Places yeah, in the Heart. Yeah, Places in the Heart. So, Which I have seen, but it's um, forever ago. Best Supporting Actor. This is going to be one of these shows for me, isn't it? Uh, That's where, fine. Where, no, where I'm exposed for not being able to, to say words. It's goddamn it. Oh, So yeah. it's uh, <laughs> the winner for Killing Fields is uh, Hine S. Gore. I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing that name. I know he, he died tragically um, uh, in real life. Uh, but uh, he won... Um, for best supporting actor, he did. But you wonder if Holst would have would have won there. Honestly, I feel like this was a weaker a weaker year, and uh, he had a shot. Also nominated was Adolf Caesar. I have no idea even who that is in the no. Soldier's Story. John Malkovich in Places in the Heart. Yeah. Pat Morita, uh, one of our favorites in Karate Kid, uh, and Ralph Richardson, which is a posthumous nomination for Greystroke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord <laughs> of the Apes. Does is, is that ridiculous? So weird. <laughs> That also got um, a screenplay nomination I know it as well. Yeah. It's a weird year. With uh, Christopher Lambert, I believe. So it's not like Matt and I didn't see movies in the 80s, but for me, like The Karate Kid, Ghostbusters, um, this also was the year of Splash. Right. But, uh, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. But for me, and I know this is, might be sacrilege, but I'm just going to be honest. I think Ghostbusters is better than Amadeus. I, I agree. Think, I think The Natural is better than Amadeus. Haven't seen it forever, but probably. I think The Karate Kid is better than Amadeus. I agree. Now- I I'm not I'm not trying to shit on by the way Beverly Hills Cop which we're covering got a screenplay nomination That's, as well yeah, yeah. and we'll talk about that on, on Saturday yeah. but um so there are you know 84 was a weird year they definitely went so I want to give the best picture nominees and you'll see it's movies that just were this was a year I guess where the critics beat the audience I guess because Amadeus wins and Amadeus was a hit Amadeus is a very good movie it is no problem you know I, I haven't seen some movies but I have no problem saying Amadeus is one of the better best picture winners ever actually but if you're a younger audience or you know maybe you weren't alive then or um this isn't one of the movies you're going back to watch not only that but history has kind of forgotten about it, in a, it really in a, has in a way I'm shocked so AFI which I talk about I'm kind of obsessed with AFI top 100 list. yeah it still hasn't changed um so well it's no in a decade it right I thought it didn't change uh, well, I thought it hasn't changed once so I mean, in the last decade. Right. Yeah. But it did change once, which is my point. So let me talk. So AFI did a top 100 list. And Amadeus was 53rd on it. The original one, the one that came out in 1997, whatever. Yeah. So then, like Matt was saying, they, or like I was saying, they did another, like a revised one 10 years later. Like 10 years, 100 movies, whatever. Amadeus got dropped off. Gone completely? Usually what happens is the movies that were in the 80s actually moved up because people realized, all right, it's 10 years later. This is this is actually is a classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, 1997, it's so close to the 80s. It was like, we don't know what is a classic or what isn't. They were kind of just guessing. Right, but 20, 25 years on, you, you saw think. a lot of the older movies, maybe from the 10s and 20s, actually drop off. Some yeah. Them, maybe because it's racist, yeah. some other <laughs> things going on. And it's like, all right, this, you know, what's... So you saw the modern movies. When I say modern, I mean like, uh, you know, from like 1970 on move up the list. Amadeus goes from 53 to nothing. That's crazy. Wild, right? Yeah. So I'm like, is there a weird, 
I don't know. I was just surprised. Yeah. So the best picture winner is Amadeus. Nomina- nominated was The Killing Fields, A Passage to India. Don't know it. Places in the Heart, which is the Sally it's Field a, movie. Yeah. And then a, a Soldier's Story, which is the one that um, got that um, uh, Adolf Caesar was in. So I, I don't, I, I don't, haven't seen those movies. I would gladly watch those movies. I'm not sure. I, I was just too young to see them. And then they, I don't know. I, I just haven't, I guess that's, that's a black mark on me, but um, I don't know. These, I did not see Amadeus as a kid either. I, I saw did, it. Well, I, did, I, yeah. I, I searched it out. I think sometime in college, okay. I was like, oh, I should see this movie. And I and that's when I saw it for the first time. But uh no, most of these at Places in the Heart is probably the only one that I saw then. Like, I feel like Amadeus isn't a movie that people really talk about even now. They don't. Very often. And I wonder if it's because, like, F. Murray Abraham and Tom Holtz are not, both of them actually had very weak careers after this. I think that's probably part F. of it. F. Murray Abraham, uh, we can talk about that right now if you want. Oh, he was just in, who was he in Scarface? Um, he, was in Scar- he was shooting Scarface when he got this part. Right. So we kind of had to do uh, double duty for a while at the beginning, which is wild. Because think about his role in Scarface. Yes. He's like this like, drug dealer. And then he has to go and be <laughs> Salieri. My, my, and also, yeah, Salieri. Yeah. And also the travel too, because they're, what were they shooting that in maybe it, LA or something? And- no, they shot a lot of it in Miami. Oh, oh right, Miami, LA, LA. and then then he has to go to Prague. It's a Prague. <laughs> right. so it's just like must have been so wild. Even the costumes he's wearing. I know, in Scarface, he's wearing. This. <laughs> he's so got the wig up. on in Scarface. Um. So after he wins this, F. Murray Abraham got a wild ego. Wow. Oh, that's ego. not. I don't like to hear that. And he did a movie with Sean Connery a couple years after this, and um, yeah, I guess he was like a nightmare on set. Like he oh. was just a real. And he also was just more inclined to do stuff on the stage. Um, he was more of a Broadway yep. guy. So, and more like classical, I shouldn't even say Broadway, more like classical theater on the stage. So like Shakespeare yep. and stuff like that. So not really Broadway, excuse me. More like just theatrical, maybe like London, England theater. And then randomly in like the late eighties, like, no, no, I don't want to do drama anymore. I want to do comedy. <laughs> what did he do? I don't remember the, that's super. Let's, st- let's go, we should go through it because that's, they, shit, that's shitty that he does that. Because he goes because. But I can understand what. So I guess yeah, if your yeah, ego is yeah. going to be because of Scarface, and then you have this kind of back to back of your movies. Well, Scar- yeah, Scar- Scarface, he was a. I mean, he wasn't. No, a, I know, but Scarface the movie did was so. not a. I mean, Scarface has gotten more claim. He got more respect now yeah. than it did then. So he does this movie called The Name of the Rose with Sean Connery, and um, sounds familiar actually. It didn't make any money in America, but it made money in Europe and actually made quite a bit of profit, but it wasn't a huge hit in Europe. Then uh, he does a movie called The Third Solution uh, with like Treat Williams. It's, uh, he has a movie called Slipstream, which is a science fiction movie with Mark Hamill. Yeah. Um, who, by the way, played Amadeus uh, on Broadway. That's right. And he was up for the role, but they didn't want to cast him because of the Luke Skywalker thing, which is kind of sad. But yeah. I mean, um, I don't think Mark Hamill would have done a good job. Like, Tom Holtz is quite good. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't no. think we need to. But yeah, he uh, for see, for comedies he does this movie called Mobsters. It's not a comedy, but it's kind of a it's with Christian Slater. Remember that one? He, uh, he, vaguely, Christian I guess. Slater. It's um who else is in this? Patrick Dempsey, Richard Grieco. <laughs> oh yes, all it's, the it's, all it's, the B actors. But he played um Arnold Rothstein. It was kind of a very uh, like not a comedy comedy, but it was uh, more of a action. Um, he does a Star Trek movie. He does. Oh, uh, that's right. He does National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon. Which is the Lethal Weapon spoof? Yes, of course. Uh, he plays like the Hannibal Lecter character. Yes. Uh, he does Last Action Hero. <sighs> so he tries to do some of these like more comedic roles, but the, he did he did a movie Surviving the Game with Rudger Hauer and Ice T, which is actually quite good. I remember that. They, they um they hunt um it's like these hunters they they hunt Ice T. Oh, do they? Yeah. Do they actually take him to a remote location or is it yeah. like in the city? You've never seen this? Maybe I they have. They kidnap him in the city. He's a homeless guy. And they bring him to the woods and they hunt him. God, it's actually familiar. much better than it should be. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's really good. Also, some like interesting like parallels of race. It's actually a, for what appears to be like based on like the VHS cover, kind of a dumb action movie. It actually is very good. Interesting. Um, for what it's being, but it's Rucker Hauer, Ice T, Charles S. Dutton, <laughs> uh, John McGinley's in it. Yeah. It's Gary Busey. It's quite a cast. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's a wild. Yeah, it's wild, right? It's, but it's good. Uh, he's in that. Um, he's in Mighty Aphrodite, the Woody Allen movie. Right. He's in Muppet. He has a cameo in Muppets from Space. Perfect. But a lot of people, um, and then eventually he would do Finding Forrester, which would reunite him with uh, Sean Connery. Sure. But uh, people even call it like F. Murray Abraham syndrome, which is after you win the Oscar, you get a jinx. You're just done. And a lot of the jinx is like self-inflicted because you start thinking you're better than, and then you start declining. You get become pickier in what movies you do, and you end up like declining some but he picked the wrong movies. He picked a lot of shit. Yes, he did. <laughs> I mean, you can't. <laughs> that's self-inflicted. And it's a shame because 
I mean, you could argue that F. Murray Hammer's performance, this movie is one of the best performances of the eighties. I think so. It's, he's, it's he's, in here, right? he's awesome. He's awesome. He's really movie. great. Yeah, he's great. Uh, and like, you kind of just wonder like what happened to this guy? Self-inflicted. I like that on Broadway, it was Ian McKellen and Tim Curry, though. I would have seen, I would have oh seen that. God, that would have been awesome. Yeah. I mean, Ian McKellen could have done this, too. He would have, he would have crushed this, this role. It's hard to do better than F. Murray. I, just, I know, I, I know. He's I know, so I know. good. I mean, he is nothing really against McKellen. He's a great oh. actor. But um, I, I probably have more wiggle room on the Thomas Hulse uh, end of it. Uh, one thing Ned brought up that I wanted to bring up. Yep. So I kind of disagree with him, I think. But uh, so Ned's opinion is this movie is not about jealousy or envy. This movie is about Solari, Solari guy. Solari, that's right. Uh, his uh, fight with God. I mean, yeah, it's kind of front and center. It starts with him and the, and the priest, basically, and he does reference it quite a bit. Oh, he does. But I don't buy that. No, I think I it's about think jealousy still. It's about jealousy and ego, and Solari's masking that with his thing. He won't admit that's what it's about. He wants to say, oh, it's about... I, well, it, it takes it out of his own hands if he blames God. Uh, right. Yeah. So it's almost like this guy who... Uh, and F. Murray Haven plays it perfectly because he doesn't, he doesn't want you to like him. It's actually a very fearless performance because usually you want to be liked so bad when you're you know, performing, you want people to like you, you know? And it's not quite a villain role. He's the, he's the protagonist. But he is a villain, and he is someone that we should despise. Like, he's not a good person. Like, yes, he was... He didn't have genius, but he did not deal with that well at all. Like, right. He's a sympathetic figure to an extent, but then he becomes, he's, he's, not, he's not at the end of the movie. Um, or even really throughout. And I think blaming God or blaming religion is his out. Like, oh no, you know, oh, I did these things because I was mad at God. It's like, no, you did these things because you're a petty guy that can't handle not being the best and you have a huge ego. I think you're right. I don't think it, I, I, I think that's what it is. It's a relationship with, with most, as well, it's, at, it's his relationship with um with with genius i mean until mozart comes to town even though he knew mozart as a kid we didn't i don't know if they ever met but they grew up at the same time mozart was traveling europe performing mozart was a little bit younger he was a yeah he was yeah, yeah a few years younger yeah, yeah you're right uh but as a five-year-old mozart's traveling around playing piano right. for emperors and but their so circles didn't seem to cross it didn't seem to cross i mean yeah. europe is a much bigger place than when you can't travel in the same way but so he to him he's probably i'm sure he's the best composer to him, he's the genius. He's the genius in his circles right. until Mozart comes to town, and he can't even like he can't even hold a candle. Like he's not even he's not even in the realm of Mozart. No one is. Um, that I can understand why that would crush him, but that's what it is. It's about his jealousy and about him not coming to terms with the fact that there is someone so far beyond him that he'll he'll he will never approach. You even see this kind of attitude even in like modern day. So like you have, and I don't even mean as it relates to genius, but as it relates to being angry that you didn't get what you think you deserve. Right. Uh, like we see with like these, like these incels, like these guys who are like, oh, or, or even some of these other guys like, oh, I do things the right way. I, I, I'm a nice guy. I deserve right. this. And then they get mad and they lash out. Uh, and it's, it's, they feel like they, just because they do things the right or what they deem to be the right way. Right. He even said, I'm pious. Rewarded. I don't have sex. Yes. Like I keep myself pure. I'm kind, like whatever. I am super proper. I, I'm living my life exactly according to God and devoted my entire life to the study of music. So I should be your voice, God. But it's such a narrow view of the world. It is because you like, can't control everything. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Just because you do things what you deem to be the right way sure. doesn't mean you then win at the end. Like it's such a narrow viewpoint, but it's a viewpoint I think people still have today. And it, it's, um, yeah, we all feel that way to some extent. Everyone, everyone in life, I'm sure everyone hearing this has felt cheated at times in their life. Of course, that's a natural thing to feel. But when it drives you, that's when it becomes, you know, at, at some point, you know, you kind of come to terms like, all right, I got screwed over there. That kind of sucks. Or whatever happens, whatever happens in your life, you're like, oh, that kind of sucks. I did things the right way and I got burned. That, that blows. Mm. But hopefully as, as adult human beings, we can be like, all right, that sucks. And then after a certain amount of time, you get past it. You have to. You can't let that drive everything you do. I mean, I, I, have, uh, I have empathy for that character. I've, I mean, I know, I'm, I know enough. I'm good enough to know when someone's a genius on their instrument and I will never be. So I get it. I get it. But- you also have to recognize the other gifts that you have or the, you know, the other parts. Right. He's, he lived a good life. He was well-respected. He got to teach the people. He got to play the music. Everything that he ever wrote was performed. For, but his, his whole life was about not what he had, which he had money. 
He had power. He's a core composer. He, he had fame. He yes, was known right everything. But it wasn't about. It was about what he didn't have. Exactly. And, so, and that's what. And that's like a horrible way to. But live. I think. And it, but it wasn't until Mozart that he knew. Like right. then he knew what he that didn't he was aware have. Aware he didn't have that. Yeah. It, and I understand how crushing that is. But you just have to move on. You just have to move on and know what you do have. It's it's tough. Um, but I agree. I think it's about jealousy and ego. Really is. And he yes. was just using God as a scapegoat. Ebert agrees with us. Ebert's review. Ebert loved this movie when he yeah, came out. He had four stars. And he uh, he did another great review, great movies review on it in two thousand two. Um, he kind of hits the same beats. I mean, sometimes he'll do those when he doesn't lo- like a movie comes out. He give it two and a half stars, and it's a great movie. And he's like, oh fuck, I got to revise. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. He's had a couple of those oh fuck moments. But this one, he was right, right from the jump. He's right on from yeah. Jump Street. Um, which is not hard to see. This is obviously a, oh, it's a, a brilliantly crafted film. by And by the cinematography is amazing. This is amazing. The setting is amazing. The costumes are amazing. Everything is just detail. And they try to be as, right. They did the costumes in Prague. They were they on location. Yes. At these, you know, at these beautiful theaters. Which, I mean, which remain, I get, I'm not, by no means do I know anything about Europe. My understanding was reading about this is that um, a lot of the Prague is great because it really hasn't changed very much since yeah. then. Yep. So it actually looks authentic. Yeah, I love the shot. There's a bunch. There's a, a bunch of these shots, but there's one in particular. It's a, it's more of like an orangish glow, but it's you're seeing from the perspective of of kind of the it must be from the orchestra looking slightly up at Mozart, and he's got his like pinkish yeah. fucking hair on, but with the theater behind him and all the candle lights, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful shot. Well, Ebert made mention of that the pinkish wigs. He's like. Notice that Mozart's the only one who has kind of a pinkish yeah. shoe. And it's like, it's kind of a punk yeah. feel with him. He, he is. He doesn't quite belong. He does not belong. Um, He's super irreverent. One casting I didn't love, Elizabeth Berridge. Yeah. She plays the uh, Mozart's wife. She's okay. Not particularly great, but it's not her fault. It was supposed to be Meg Tilly. Oh, was it? Yeah. And what Meg happened? Tilly injured herself the day before they were going to shoot. Oh. And they scrambled and they got... They got Elizabeth Berridge, who didn't really have much of a career after. She was on the John Larroquette show as a supporting, like, you know, almost 10 years later uh, for a couple of seasons. She didn't have much of a career after this. Um, But she's fine, I guess. She doesn't really detract, but this could have been casted better. Yeah. Um, I did like, of course, coming off the big chill. Right. Um, So, you know, you can understand why they, I did want to cast it her. Yeah. Um, You know, I did like the casting of sort of the supporting composers. Uh, around uh, there was the Italian. No, I'm, I'm I didn't write down who the names of these guys were, but the I can't the, pronounce them. Yeah, well, the Ital like the uh, particularly the Italian one who just looked kind of aghast a lot, and uh, uh, the his partner in crime who I think was um, maybe he was the because I didn't understand all the the titles of everybody because like what is Salieri's like the he's the court, court composer, composer yes. but then one of them sort of the arts czar yeah. or well, something. Yeah, I think one of them probably runs like the theater as a yeah, whole, yeah, and yeah. then but like for the. Music, maybe Solari's in charge of that. Solari, yeah. Sure. Probably. I'm not going to get that. Right. No, you, you, you don't have keep to. Keep correcting me all you want. It's well, not going to just... change. I can't, I can't do it. Solari. Well, then now you're being willful. I'm not. I don't know how. I, I can't. Solari. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Those Italian names are tough for you. I, I, I don't know. Certain things I can't. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm limited. You're not. No. I am. <laughs> Give yourself too little credit. I am very limited. <laughs> did you um? Do you care about the historical inaccuracy of it? Like this never this rivalry never really happened. Yeah, so I want to bring that up. So or I want to talk about it. Excuse me, you brought it up. Yeah. I, want to, I want to talk about it. That, oh, before you do, yeah. just in context of like what you would do in a contemporary setting. Like, could you make up a story where Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis were at, like? No, we have know, a different comp. Okay. Um. So like Matt said exactly right. Uh, Salieri and Mozart actually, were, if anything, were probably colleagues to some extent or yeah. at least got along and there was no fight it was this whole thing never happened i don't care um it's like we talked about with sleepers which is a more modern um movie that also probably bent the truth a little bit or a lot bit depending on, on how much you believe that book if you're so focused on the facts you're right sleepers is inaccurate and yeah. amadeus is inaccurate but if you're so focused on that you're missing two great movies or that's two true. very good movies yeah so, i agree i i, I don't care I don't care either. I think I think it bothers me a little bit more because it's Mozart, but not really. I don't care at all. Yeah, I don't care at all about either one. Yeah, um, I enjoy both things. And I so that was your compass sleepers. Yeah, I'm I was just wondering just if you could do it with like, like two pop stars or something that just well, manufacture this thing because we know too much about them. But I don't know any about Mozart. Mozart was dead, you know, so long before. Yeah, I was hundreds born of years ago. I don't. I don't care. Right. I, I, that's why I was thinking is maybe it works where maybe a hundred years from now you could still do you could do it about those early rockers or something. Or you could do it about Charlie Chaplin and Rudolph Valentino now. Yeah. And no one would know. Yeah. But and maybe, maybe they would. And they would do I that. I guess there was that Edison movie that they did. Uh, Thomas, Ed- was it Thomas? Ed- um, no, who was it? 
it was it was the movie Genius with Meg Ryan and um, oh with Walter Matthau plays Walter, Einstein. Einstein, that's it's what it IQ. was. I Tim Robbins is in it, and Tim Robbins. So yeah. like that may be kind of a. Yes, yeah, that was obviously inaccurate as well. You know, uh, yeah. So I think you know. I mean, Tarantino plays of history all the time. We see it in his movies. You know, um, it's true. Uh, so I, 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 I really, I, you know, do not care at all. Yeah, yeah zero uh, relevance for me. Um, and as it is with sleepers, I, I can kind of put that. I mean, most movies we watch are are, uh, are fiction, right? So you know, I almost think biopics are boring. <laughs> I'm almost, almost rather they lie. Well, yeah, like, I just don't. I don't it's know. not as entertaining. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Uh, one of the things I did like, though, is how they describe some of the music that was going on. This is a transitionary time in uh, modern music and Western modern music. Uh, really, the the torch, the big torch was passed between Mozart and Beethoven. Beethoven's 15 years younger than Mozart. Mozart died very young. I think he was 35 years old. Um, so, But uh, Beethoven did get a, a bit of a chance to go and study with him a little bit. And then, of course, knew all of his compositions. Well, Mozart is really starting to push the boundaries of classical music now. Um, classical music, the the like, there's an instrument change from harpsichord to piano, um, and that might not sound like a, a big change, but it actually really is if you look at how the instruments work. A harpsichord is a plucked string. When you hit the when you hit the notes of a harpsichord, it's plucking, plucking, plucking. So you can do no dynamics with it. There's nothing you can do. Okay. You hit the key harder, softer, doesn't matter. You're going to get the same dynamic volume. So that adds a very sterile base layer to what you're doing, which is fine if you have other instruments accompanying. So if you got, you know, vocalists or whatever, they can be the expressive. They, they are the ones who can be louder or softer and it's okay. But it's really an expressionless tool mm -hmm. in a way. Whereas a piano, the construction is different. It's still a stringed instrument, but when you hit the keys of a piano, it strikes the string. So it's not as expressive as a voice. You can't be as loud or as softer as like even even a violin or um, or wind instruments in particular or voices. But you do get a way bigger dynamic range than you do with the harpsichord. So now we're talking about a much more expressive expressive instrument as the base layer of your music. Um, but then that classical transition is also you. Uh, one of the pieces they played a bit of it was Mozart's nineteenth. Um, listen to this. Super out. It's a very chromatic piece, which was not something you ever did in classical music. Uh, chromatic meaning it's very adjacent notes, um, not a like a in a um, diatonic would be how you would describe how music was uh, more at that time, which was uh, you pick a key and you stay in that key. Whereas chromatic, you are moving from key to key to key. So it's expanding your 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 ear palette. Mozart is, he was so innovative at the time, making music that sounded good, even though it was chromatic, uh, passing that torch to Beethoven. Beethoven heard that and was like, oh shit, this is amazing. And, and then took it to the next level in the romantic period of music, which followed. So I liked how they showed that, his innovativeness uh, when, um, you know, in, in the pieces that he was writing. I thought that was a, a really pleasant part of the movie. Uh, my issue with the classical music, this is, uh, Matt explains it, you know, uh, technically, and I'm going to talk about it like uh, the guy, from, you know, regular, I guess, I don't know, like, I, Joe, oh, it might be boring. No, no, Joe America here, <laughs> in, in that I look at classical music, like I look at hockey, like, when I go to, like, I have a hard time watching hockey on TV, it's boring to me, but if I'm at a Bruins game or at a hockey, NHL game, it's really exciting, they're really, NHL experience when you're in person to me is awesome. I feel the same way about classical music. Watching on TV, I just don't. But if I'm actually at a symphony, it's amazing. Yeah. And you could, you're like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like, this super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't get the quite, quite really the same. moving. But for some reason, like, even hearing it, like, on a CD or hearing it on, like, watching a movie like Amadeus, it just loses that magic for me. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, oh, I, I, it's has to, for me, it's one of those, you got to be there moments. I agree. I think I thought it was tough to get through. I'm a music lover. Yeah. It's tough to get through, um, you know, these long, uh, scenes of them playing this music. And that's why it's like, I can't say this is a great, I have to be honest. Like I wish, yeah, I could be a film snob and be like, this is incredible. And there are incredible elements about it, but I gotta be honest. Like, this is not a great movie to me. This is a good movie to me. This is a B plus movie to me. And with some great performances, I mean, yeah. even Hulse is very good in this, uh, Host is very good. Uh, Abraham's great. Jeffrey Jones, we haven't mentioned, is fantastic mm. in this. Yeah. He's really good. It might be the best Jeffrey Jones performance I've ever seen. 
Um, yeah, he's great. He's yes. fun. You know, he's fun in some of the Burton movies, and he's fun, obviously, in uh, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Ferris Off. Bueller. And, and, you know, he's, he's done a lot of stuff, but he's really perfect uh, in, in this role. Very, very proper, but you can see in his eyes, he is excited about yeah, all of these Yeah, super excited, yeah, yes. Because he he's got a music, he's got the music bug. Like, he, he likes to play, you so. You can tell it's a passion, and yes. he loves it. And he, he, he's, like, uh, his hands are tired because of some of the rules that even he's put in place, bizarre, I mean, to do the right thing. But then he wants, he, I think if he had his way, he would just push all the limits. Yeah, of course. Do, do anything. Um, so it is fun. It's fun to see, because he's such a good actor. You see the internal struggle in his eyes. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite, he does a great job. It's quite good. Yeah. And the setting's beautiful. And Foreman's a brilliant director. And oh, one thing I want to mention, I want to make sure I get his name right, because he he's more of a playwright than a, um, than a, than a screenwriter, is, is Peter Schaefer. Yeah. I love, so, so many times, we, well, not so many times, but a few times this show we've covered, like, movies that take place in, like, older times, like Last of the Weekends, or, and, oh, it's so dreadful here in the conversations. It's so boring. They go out of their way to use, like, proper words, and it's just, it's, it's just not something in 2021 I can relate to. No. But I feel like they speak, like, they speak very modern in this film, and I'm sure it's not accurate historically, but I don't care. I would rather have the accuracy. Yeah, I agree. Or you have right, right. exactly. I agree. Uh, same thing. Why Shakespeare? I mean, I feel dumb that I say this, but I can't get oh, into Shakespeare awful. because I just don't. I can't get past the language. But it's also not funny. Like the jokes. Like you need to have a real grasp of language for things to be funny. Exactly. So there's not going to be a lot of comedy in Shakespeare that you actually. I, I can pretend to laugh at because it seems proper, but it's not. I'm sorry, Midsummer Night's Dream. It's not funny. You're it's never going to get surprise laughter from it because you have to dissect no, the language right. to understand yeah. it before you can find it funny, and then it's kind of like haha. But are you going to laugh? There's no more surprise anymore. But they're that. like because they're using our language here, it's so much more accessible and it's so much funnier and more entertaining. The script is brilliant. Schaefer won the Oscar for this. Yes, but he was a playwright first and foremost, and that's what he did. He did. Um, uh, he did one more play. I think it might have been Ragtime. Um, if I have in front of me, I can look. Yeah, might as well. Um, but he did two um, film adaptions uh, that he wrote himself. That's hard to do. Equus, he got nominated for. Amadeus, he got nominated for. Okay. And won. He won oh, for wow. Amadeus. Yeah. So Equus and Amadeus. Uh, Equus was before in 77, and then Amadeus. Was, so, But he he's written a, a ton of, of plays, and um, this was the last, I believe this was the last like film credit. Like, oh, that sucks. Like, I, yeah. I'd love to see more from this guy. He's really good. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's great. He could have been, I mean, maybe he was happy, obviously, writing for film, but he could have been a screenwriter because he wrote this. I mean, I don't know how much Foreman then took, and I, we don't know kind of what happened behind yeah, the scenes. Yeah, but still. But it, it's, the conversations are fantastic. Exactly. Yeah, and to are. have the, the boldness of like, you know what? We're going to make this accessible. We're going to make this fun. We're not going to have this be boring. See how fancy I am, how sophisticated I am language. So I give Schaefer it's gotta all the credit. Be, it's got to be entertaining. I mean, uh, like, why are we doing this unless it's entertaining? And Schaefer so. and Foreman did that, and uh, they both knocked out of the park. <laughs> they made this, except for the extended sequences where we see these things played out. Um, you know, and Twyla Tharp did the choreography. I think it's kind of bland. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure maybe it's historically accurate, but I once it goes back to that thing we we're just talking about language. I just, I just it, don't. Yeah. It's just boring. Uh, sorry. One last thing is not just the acting performance. Oh, the acting performances on their instruments. Oh, is yes. very yeah. impressive. Uh, very Holtz impressive. Holtz, yes, Backwards. I mean that is impossible. I know. I know. You had like to to train yourself backwards on a piano is is crazy. Yeah, there's a scene where right Mozart's on his back and uh, playing the piano. That that, that that is such a mind fuck to so think about. I so you can answer this for me. I, I'm, I, I, his hands looked right. A lot of people have said that you know musicians, you know people who are trained have said that. Uh, like when the keys are hitting, when the finger hitting the keys, when you see things happening, that's how it would sound. It, it looks right. I mean, I didn't, I didn't just like hum it all out, but it all, but you I, did, you did I nothing, had no, nothing triggered you that it was wrong. No, and mostly, and it, even if I, you know, I see music videos and stuff, it's very easy to see if people aren't right, right, right on. Um, no, it looked great. And the, and then, okay. And then the musical performances too were very well done as well. There's a few female voices. Um, oh yeah. That I didn't catch, yeah. but one was like, uh, uh, oh, it was the, the, um, the woman that, uh, Abraham, that Salieri was lusting after. Yes. I don't think it was her singing, but whoever, performed what she was performing in the beginning of the movie was fucking awesome. She was, she was, she had a great voice. And then even the mat, I don't like the magic flute very much, but the woman singing the magic flute section was just towards the end off the charts again, like to do some of the stuff is like, it's just crazy musicianship. So set design also great. Yes. If you look at Mozart's apartment as he gets poor, there's like less and less stuff in there. That's true. And like, it's, it's done, it's done pretty quietly, but you'll just see like less stuff on the, 
you can obviously it's all intentional, but he's he's pawning that stuff off. They do make one mention of it where the maid's like, oh, he had seven of these gold things. He only has yeah, one now. Yeah, yeah. But then, but like the rest, and by the end of the movie, is like nothing. His you know his apartment's full when it starts, and when it ends, it's empty. It's nothing. And uh, it's it's sad, but it, you, you, it's a great way to show someone's decline in set design. I mean, Foreman's a genius. He's brilliant. I mean, to have three films better than this in your film library is pretty, it's pretty damn good. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and I haven't even seen all this movie, so maybe there's another one out there that I, I I've missed oh, that, right. that could be even better. But um, yeah, very good movie. One of the better um, fan picks because you figure what we dealt with last Mohicans, which was uh, your favorite Princess was Mononoke, Spirit. Oh yeah, which was yeah, Mononoke was your favorite. Dreadful. And I forget what Justin picked. Uh, Justin, oh, uh, uh, yeah, first picked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget what he picked, but that might have been better. Might have been. I don't remember. I forget now. Don't uh, remind us. Thanks. Um. Yeah, all right. I guess that's all I got on this one. Wham. Uh, so this is Careless Whisper by Wham, maybe George Michael. Justin wanted Spaceballs. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no. So this then is this, this, yeah, this, so, yeah. yeah, that didn't hold up as well. There's some great stuff in that, but, yeah, but it, it didn't hold up yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Careless Whisper. Um, um, so right. It's off of Make It Big, which is really Wham's big album. Uh, it's only well, two albums from them. Really? Y- yeah. Well, three technically, but two really. Yeah, really two. So this is their second album and this is by, their big one. Their big one. Yeah. By, at this point, it's got 10 million album sales. Um, it has, uh, it had three number one songs off there. So right. there's careless whisper. There's wake me up before you go. And, and the second song. In the- <clears throat> second one is, um, and everything she wants. Right. So we'll actually, I'm, I'm going to play some of those in a second, but, this, um, it's very, and it only had eight songs, but four of them are really good. But this is like a crossover period for George Michael. So Wham! starts in 1981. It only lasts till 1986. Yep. It's George Michael and Andrew Ridgely, I yep. think is sure. how I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, they're buds. They're like, they're 18. They're 17, 18 years old. They're just young kids when they start the band. And they demo, one of the demos that they they did, and like they, I guess they did it like really super fast, 20 minutes or something, was Careless Whisper, this really stripped down version. It was a Casio tone uh, drum beat with a bass player, um, Ridgely playing get, uh, acoustic guitar, and George Michael um, singing, and it's what won them their record deal. <clears throat> but so, but by now, which isn't that far, like there's the second album, this was released in 84 at some point. So really a few years in, George Michael's like, I'm tired of being the teeny bopper. Because that's how they're presented. Like you listen, you look at the video for Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go and it's just a super, it's any, even for the, uh, for the songs on this album, super teeny bopper, bubblegum yeah. music and he's on Teen Beat and all the other magazines. Right. Uh, he's getting all this media attention and he's a good looking guy. So it's just, he, he just decides like this, I don't want to, I want to make more sophisticated music. And it makes sense because he's a good musician. Like he, he was talking about how he wrote this song. He wrote it in his head. Like yeah. he's not, he's got a, he's got a tremendous voice. He's got a really great voice. Yeah. He's not, he's not a teeny bopper. Like he's a sophisticated musician. So, and at this point he's starting to do things like, um, you know, working with like Elton John, uh, what they do, don't let the sun go down on me, which is a great rendition of that song. That yeah. is, that's an awesome is. one. And then doing live aid stuff, and they're like, he's just doing. Um, he's starting uh, to break out. He's starting too, to break right? out. Yeah. Uh, he's clearly the star. Yes. And uh, and so they like so they just they 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 break up in 1986 because uh, I want to do my own thing. I want to I want to not have this bubblegum persona anymore. Right. So so you, you do have like four of these songs, even though. Wake me up before you go go is a teeny bopper. It's still really well oh, made. That's, my it's, favorite, it, that's probably my favorite George Michael song. Period. It's a well, good one. Maybe not, but it's it, it's my favorite Wham song. It, it, it is a really good one. Um, it's just fun. Like it, it's so much better than this. This song to me is. Ugh. Oh no! This is a beautiful song with the great comp. Oh, the guitar comp. Damn. It's such a it's great groove. Fun. The saxophone is is like you might be sick of it, but it's like a that's, super iconic yeah, saxophone. I know. It, this is a really good song for like a ballad. Like it's got this good easy feel to it, kind of like um, it ain't over till it's over. That Lenny Kravitz song, it's like his only good song. Kind of got that same feel. It's one of the reasons why I like both of them. But 
Wake Me Up Before You Go Go is um is like very it's like very walking on sunshine, right? It's like you're it's a super happy song. Yeah. And this section, um I this uh, is a good one. See, this is, I, I, it's I, a good one. I'd rather listen to this ten times and Carol's Whisper again. Although I gotta say, my favorite uh, is um, oh, good, yes, right? Absolutely. Yep. Freedom. It's funny because they uh, they they so they they toured China. They were like the first European act to tour China, and I don't know, maybe ever or, or European pop act. And uh, they recorded that video while they were there. So I think the juxtaposition of freedom yeah. um, and being in China was what they were looking for. Mm. But uh, freedom, freedom's a really good song. That's a good one. And yeah. then the other, uh, the other one that you mentioned, everything she wants. Yeah, which I this also, is a good song. I like this one than Kale's Whisper too. I like them all. Kale's Whisper is just—it's a good song. It's—it's it's, it's so I—I I don't I don't like that genre either. Like Listen to this third verse though of Kale's Whisper. Easy listening. I'm never in this mood. Never? Whatever this mood is, like longing and... Oh. You never long for anything? I don't know. I sit around like a mobile band. I feel like this is like a mobile song. If only I had... If only. <laughs> I gotta have those thoughts. I mean, with a lesser lesser voice, I think I could see that, but he just, he completely sells the song. Like, he just he crushes I, he, it. He's... He's got a great voice. The sax line, I, I'm not going to criticize. I am sick of it. It's, yeah, it's yeah. dreadful now. But that's not fair. I've heard every supermarket for the last 30 years. Well, and it's also very similar to uh, well, Maneater. It's like the, a very similar sax sound for that one, which is the Hall Note song a few years before. Yeah, Maneater's a better song. It is a better song. I agree. All right. But that's one of my, I mean, I love Hall Notes. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, Maneater's a better song. This, this but like the sax, the sax is, I'm not going to blame him at all. Uh, well, they went through 11 sax players. Wow. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Oh know my that. God. That's why one of the reasons well, why he was it took so, this was his so thing, long. Though, right? Oh, yes, it yeah. was. Yeah. One of the reasons why it took so long, I told you the demo was 1981. They recorded it like three or four times. Yeah. And one of the reasons was the first mix, uh, George Martin was like, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. So they redid the song. 11 saxophone players because uh, George Michael liked the original one. I guess they had a, he had a buddy who was like playing at a bar or something yeah. down the street when they were doing the demo. And that guy got the kind of the longing that he wanted out right. of it. So what ended up happening was it, it, it was frustrating experience. Like his, even, even their Wham's manager was like pissed at George Michael. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Let's, let's get this thing yeah. done. And it's one of the reasons why I wasn't on the first album and it didn't, you know, didn't make it to the second album. But what ended up happening was um, it's hard to play. It's in the wrong, it's in a weird key for, for a saxophone. They don't have the top note key. So I don't know how he was hitting it. Maybe they had to bite the reed. If you bite the reed, you can like hit some higher notes. I don't know how, how the first 10 guys were doing it, but the 11th guy was like, listen, this doesn't work. Why don't we slow the tape down so that it's a half step down and I can hit that fucking note. And that's what they did. Oh wow! So okay. they slowed the tape down. Yeah. He played the solo and they sped it up. Which makes the timbre a little weird too. It's a it's a um, it's a tenor saxophone, which is like a deeper sound than a soprano, than a uh, an alto saxophone, and uh, and sped it back up. And so the timbre's a little a little strange too to your ear, I think. And and he was able to hit all the notes. And and uh, George Michael didn't know what they did. And he comes back. And he's like, "That's the one I want." And they're like, "Okay, here we go." That's I, it. I actually I, I totally understand, and I, I'm surprised it doesn't have more because like George Michael said, for years he had that in his head. Yes. And he's like, so I can completely understand having something in your head and trying to explain, look at me on Kirkman and show and try to explain my games. It goes so well. <laughs> so imagine trying to explain a song uh, or, you know, a part of a song. So like, I imagine if someone just doesn't do it quite, you want it to be right. You want yes. it to be how you hear it. But yes. then like. It's hard to translate it's it. Really hard it really is hard. So I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often actually. Particularly if you can't play it. Like it's one thing if right. you're, if you know, say maybe I play something on guitar a certain way, but I'm not going to play it in the song. Right. I could perform it for them and they can kind of get it. But if you just to talk it out, like, it's, talk it out. it's like almost impossible. It's really impossible. I'm surprised that like aren't, so obviously George Michael was powerful enough where they could do that. I'm surprised you don't have more powerful musicians saying, oh no, I need to bring in like a hundred guys because I need this to sound a certain way. No one can pull it off. Yeah, I know. I, I think it's, it's hard communicating music in a, in a non uh, instrumental way is like really impossible. Yeah. Um, the only, I mean, you see it in uh, Amadeus. At the end, when he's like trying to explain the notes, and and even 
Solarius is like, I don't, I, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. And yeah. not only that, but like, he's like, this isn't right. He's like, no, it is right. Just write it down. Yes. Like, this isn't right. And he goes, oh, now I see. And yes. that's just communicating like notes to someone who's very accomplished. Someone who can already has a skill set where can can read a score and, and see it yeah. in their head, hear it in their head. Like, but it just shows you how hard music is to communicate. Super hard. Um. So yeah, so this is this is it. It's like their last big album. They do a big tour. They go to China, and then George Michael says, "Well, they do I'm another out. big tour." And eat, that, that, oh yeah, yeah, to support the, the third endless, album, whatever that is called. Yeah, but by that time, Mike uh, George well, Michael's like working did. on Faith, and well, then that launches yet. him. No, but uh, was it music from the edge of heaven? Is that what it I was? think that's what it is? And then yeah. that's when they went on that last big tour. Because I remember that. I was old enough to remember that. I remember like, oh, we're Bram's breaking up. And people were like, oh, fuck, this is crazy. Like, this sucks. You can see it happening too because this, uh, the first album, they didn't have any artistic control. But on this one, they had control because their first album did well. Yeah. Um, and uh, George, uh, George Michael had the producer credit on it too. Like, it, it was him. This is his, this is his album. He might as well, it's kind of like Phil Collins doing, uh, which album we just did. Uh, um, uh, Oh, the one that had tonight, tonight, tonight. Uh, not land of confusion. What's the other song? The big song. Um, oh, uh, s- s- uh, no, uh, invisible touch. Thank you. I have a hard time hearing. Uh, yeah, invisible touch. That album is kind of you know right. really driven by Phil. Oh, of course it was. Uh, but this is right, George. Michael. It's basically George Michael. I was like poor Andrew Ridgely a little bit. Like I guess I feel bad I guess for they, him. Like, because they were friends, they went on that last tour. I wonder if they did that tour because musicians we talk about in the show a lot. Musicians make more money on tours than they do selling records. Yeah. So I wonder if they did that last tour so Michaels could kind of like you know, fill up Ridgely's coffers a little bit, be like, hey, here's some, you know, he's kind of a severance package, if you will. But he didn't do much after this. I mean, he tried, he tried well, his, yeah, didn't he tried, have to, maybe he didn't have to do financially because of the tour. Well, he tried to do stuff. He tried to do, yeah. he released a solo album, didn't do very well. No. He tried to be a race car driver, didn't do very yeah, well. Right. Tried to go to Hollywood yeah. and act, that didn't do very yeah. well. And then he just kind of went home, I think. But maybe, but luckily, because, luckily he probably had you know, I, I, yeah. that tour must have made them, a because they were selling at arenas. Like that was, a, that's yeah. was legit. And they knew it was the last time they were going to do it together. So they made a shit ton of money doing that. So, you know, maybe, you know, that was kind of a night, you know, Michaels could have just left Ridgely high and dry and been like, all right, we're done. But at the same time, George Michaels was bad mouthing Wham right after Wham split yeah. up. He's like, this sucked or whatever. I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with all the media attention. When you go from not having any attention at all to the amount of stardom that he had in a very short amount of time, very plus short. he's got his personal struggles um, he as he's dealing with well, his sexuality he, and yeah, like all I mean, sorts the of stuff. Drug, the drug issues. Yeah, the drug issues. Right. So... I could see that, but like, if I were Andrew, I'd be kind of like, what do you mean? Like, this launched us. It's like, this launched your career. Why are you so negative about it? I think years I, later, I imagine, right. And they always seem to be friendly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think George Michael probably was just trying to distance himself. Like, hey, I'm doing something different. Probably didn't communicate it the best way. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to trash. You know, you could just be like, hey, I'm going a different direction. But, you know, like you, like you said, this guy was a young guy. He, I mean, talk about, uh, I mean, a slingshot into fame. Like, he was like instantly on every magazine cover. Yes. Instantly. Yes. So like, you know, that's a big, you know, you know, you get quoted a hundred times, maybe one time you say the wrong thing. That's what everybody remembers. And you're like, yeah. fuck. And right. And it happened in the course of like three years by the time you, they right. launched, you know, from 81, they're young. She's 22, 23 years old. Like how do you even deal with that shit? He's doing on international to first tour to China. I mean, that's ridiculous. I do think Mike, George Michael gave Ridgely a, like a, they were friends. They did that last tour as kind of a, yeah. Hey, thank you. Kind of like, or Hey, you know, I don't want to leave you high because he said he could have could have shoot and screwed and left. It's true. Then Ridgely, it's like, what do you, you know, you're 25 years old and it's kind of like the peak of your career is done. You're like at a peak level athlete at that well, point. Yeah, I know. He, like, he didn't think so, but. No, he didn't, but turned out to be the case. It was. Um, well, hopefully he's had a good life, but. Uh, Still alive. Yeah, he is. George Michael is. So Ridgely, Ridgely wins that one. <laughs> he does. Yeah. I know. That's sad. That's just shows you we talk about all the time is, 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 is getting. Ultra famous, a good thing. We've kind of usually come to the conclusion it's not. No, it's not. No. So, like, I would rather, it seems like Ridgely's had a nicer life, and George Michael is very haunted by a number of things. And maybe he was. Some of it is tied to his great talent, and some of it is just tied to personal struggles, some of it's tied to that fame. I don't know, but, you know, as much as Ridgely is kind of like, I don't know, maybe a punchline for some people, I'd rather be Andrew Ridgely than George Michael. I agree. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So, there you are. Yeah. Wham. Wham. Yeah. Um, very strange though. Wow. So at, right. The, just to put a little tie, a little bow on, on, uh, on this, uh, songwriting credit. It was only released in the United States as part of that Wham album. Oh, and it was released as a single everywhere else. It's also the last song in the album. Yeah. Yep. I wonder if they thought it would be a hit. I don't, I don't know. I think, I wonder if they were kind of down on it. 
But having there's only eight tracks on the album, so right. you can't having seven tracks on an album that doesn't. Oh, actually, I think you need to have eight tracks in order for it to be counted as a, 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 a full a length record in the United States. I think we we talked about that on a very early episode mm. when we were talking about the charts. I think seven would be like an LP or something. Oh, all right. Uh, so maybe they had to do that, and they're like, oh, we're zapped. I don't have any other material or something. I don't know. But you, but you do start to see. Well, I mean, obviously we know what happens, but you do start to see the cracks of him, George Michael, wanting to. Separate. Yeah. Yeah, you do. I can understand. Like, listen to this stupid song. This is uh this is off the same album. This is Credit Card Baby. You can have my credit card, baby. I mean, if you're doing bubblegum songs like this, this is like yeah. I mean I'd be pissed at that too. Do you ever watch the George Michael Sports Machine? <laughs> what? You never watch this as a kid? No. What so like on Sunday nights at uh after like eleven thirty. You'd have like in in Boston area where Matt and I grew up, you'd have Sports Final with Bob Bell, mm-hmm. and you'd have um, Sports Extra with Gene Levanchi. Yeah. Okay. But there was uh, on like s- stations that didn't have the wherewithal to have like a st- in-studio sports show, like, uh, you know, didn't have those, those you know, funds. There's a syndicated show that went all across the country called the uh, George Michael Sports Machine. And it was like this old guy and he would... Um, like just go, all right, we're, we're going to go, you know, use the machine. He'd like press his button and it would go like around the country. And basically it was almost like sports center. Yeah. But it, like they wouldn't play every game. They wouldn't go into great details. Be like, oh, and you know, in Los Angeles, the Raiders, you know, went crazy and Bo Jackson had a great game and they beat the Rams or whatever. You know, yeah. like you'd have like this, you know, uh, and he'd be like, oh, let's hit the machine. And he'd like, he had like this, mach- like this, like, they have like, a button. Yeah, it was like a like it was like the machine, I guess you know, and the like a button, and the button would then bring us to a different game, and he wouldn't really have any sort of like he really wouldn't really like give his opinion about it. It was more just like here's what happened here. Recap what happened, what, what happened? Yeah, I don't remember that at all. No memory of that. I want to say locally here it was on like Channel Nine, which what, is uh what like, time of night? It was eleven thirty. It was on it was on Sunday nights after the football. So it would go all year long. So Sundays would just be baseball highlights, yeah. whatever. But he'd obviously for football you'd have it on Sundays. Um and um yeah, and he would it was the George Michael sports machine. I'm sure people remember this. It's probably because I was I was not up at that time when at, when we were that young. What a loser. I know you were. What, the, what do you mean? I was up earlier. It was like in the nineties though. Oh, in the nineties. Yeah, it was the eighties and But by the nineties it was funnier because it was like less it was so irrelevant because everyone had sports centers. Yeah. Like no one would watch this or you'd be watching sports final or sports extra, you know, if you want local sure. flavor, but to like to do a national show where you kind of do a half-ass look around the league. Yeah. Like it was so irrelevant, but he was still doing it. Um, so like, Oh no, actually Sunday nights at 1130 was Cisco and Ebert on, uh, channel nine, I think. But, uh, sp- uh, I don't know, maybe it was channel five had, um, and you never tag anybody in. It would just be him going around that because around him. the horn is what they you have. The, at least you have the oh, different no, sports casters. Oh, around the horn, you opinions, though. You're not yeah. Oh, that's true. That's, that's true. Like, yeah. that's, a, that's opinion. This yeah, is, that's no, true. It was just him, and he'd be like, "All right, we're going." You know, it was just like highlights. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but it was so sad because, like, I'm sure, like 1982 when he developed his concept, it was like, "Oh wow, like super innovative sports machine." Like, this is exciting. You know, oh my god, can you imagine? And uh, but like 1998, it's like this old guy like pressing buttons. So sometimes I'd watch it, just like just like if I didn't really care about like something was going on, say with the you know the local team. So I'd watch. Like, usually I watch sports finals, sports extra. But for whatever reason, sometimes I throw on sports machine just for a laugh. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to Houston. It's like all right. Do you think he was related to uh, to Wham Sport, uh, George wish, Michael? Or what? I, I, well, that's a joke. We'd always say like, oh, imagine if it was George. Imagine like <laughs> he's so much George better. Michael. So imagine if George Michael was in Wham, I'd the love sports that. machine guy, oh, and then, like yeah. yeah you know, hey, it's me, George Michael. <laughs> He's a beetle. But yes. <laughs> hey, hello. <laughs> Let's go to Los Angeles. <laughs> Bo Jackson's done it again. Uh, yeah, I don't do a very good George Michael, huh? It's no. a hard impression to nail, right? Well, I think I, I think you'd have to study it. Have you, did you study George? No, zero no, okay. percent. Yeah, right. yeah, no, I don't. I never really, never really George Michael impression. <laughs> I probably spent more time doing the George Michael sports machine impression. Probably. Yeah. No, this guy's great. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Hopefully, people are. Can, uh, yeah, actually, you know what, guys? If you're listening to this, if you hung around to the end here, this bonus episode on Columbus Day or Indigenous People Day, or however you celebrate it, uh, send Matt as much George Michael no, sports machine as possible. Don't, don't do DMs, that at all. Tweet at him. I want Matt to be inundated with George Michael sports machine. So he can, he, shouldn't he share in the glory? No. No, he should not. Please, no, as don't. much as possible. All day. You know, if you have the day off, go crazy. Do you think that he, uh, that this George Michael was uh, more successful? <laughs> Sports Machine or Wham? Sports Machine okay. George Michael was more successful than Andrew Ridgely. 
Uh, uh, no, no, I bet that's financially no way. That's tour Wham did at the end. So at least so he was he bettered himself against. I George imagine. Michael. I mean, George Michael's sports machine had a longer career. Well, there's that. So who would you rather be? Would you rather be sports machine George Michael or uh, Andrew Ridgely? Oh, ooh. I uh, originally, I mean, both are kind of jokes now, but originally is. Yeah, Ridgely. I mean, Ridgely. no one's going to remember. You never do like Ridgely and Oates, like people do the Garfunkel and Oates yeah. parody type thing. I know. I, I don't know why. He's yeah, like not even good enough to get into that well, tier. Yeah, but Ridgely, yeah. It's like, I mean, wouldn't you rather be Ridgely? Would you rather be Garfunkel? I mean, I'm sorry, wouldn't you rather be Oates? Wouldn't you rather be Garfunkel? Like Ridgely's the last guy you'd want to be on that list. That's right. They only did two albums, that's why. Yeah, that's what it is. You know? Yeah, but how many did Garfunkel do with Simon? Maybe four? It's too bad Ridgely too kept many. chasing it. Because like, if you were like, if I did, if he did that tour and he was just like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done. I'm going to go have an awesome life and just chill out. Yeah. I think he'd be like respected, but because he kept trying and failing, he's become kind of a punchline. I think so. Yeah. The thing is he never had the voice. He could play other instruments and stuff. I wonder what that's like. He never had the voice. I mean, he, he could, yeah, I'm sure he could hit pitchy, but he was, he's all backup. It's all George Michael. You listen to this, to the wham songs. You're like, where's, where's, uh, where's Andrew in there? Yeah. Like, you can't even tell. So yeah, I agree. Um, all right. Don't there forget, you go. people, please, as much as possible. George Michael. Just don't do that. But, DM uh, him. Tweet at him. We've got a live show, November oh, 20th. Yes. Oh, my God. We should have done that up top. That was yeah, fun. we should have. No, yeah, because no one's going to. Uh, oh, I was stupid. November uh, 20th. Uh, Dover, New Hampshire. Tickets were on sale. Right. Tickets were on sale uh, starting last week. Um, starting Saturday. Ago. Starting Saturday. Yeah, I forget what it's day. It's. I don't know what day. Yeah, it doesn't matter when tickets went on sale. Who cares? You buy now. And... Um, <laughs> You can go to our website. Quantum Dash Week. Quantum Dash Week. The link's there. We should have said that in the Saturday show. We're not very good at this. This is our first time doing it. We're not, not good at this. No. And um, you can buy tickets. Uh, it's in Dover, New Hampshire. Uh, any questions, obviously, that matter, I know. Uh, in between sending Matt as many don't, don't do that. Michael. Don't, don't do that. I'll uh, block you. Things as possible. You'll, no, get, you'll okay, get blocked. He will block you. I'll block you. Don't do it. I know. We all know Matt knows what that block button is, don't we? Good Lord. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, I guess that's all we got, right? And, oh, uh, we're back on uh, Saturday with Beverly Hills Cop. All right, see you then.